Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. John 10.10. In John 10.10, it's a quick verse. We're going we're gonna to have more scripture within the, the message, but I want to start with this quick verse because I actually think that there's a lot in this scripture that we miss. Um, John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I, talking about himself, which is Jesus, says, I came that they may have life, say life, and have it abundantly. Say abundantly. abundantly. Uh, may have, that, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, I do have a secret obsession and it's not Taco Bell. Um, I have this secret obsession and it's, I love to watch game shows. <laughs> How many of you love to watch game shows? Loud and proud. Let's game show lovers. Let's go. You're my people. I'm talking to you today. Come on, everyone else. I'm just kidding. I love game shows. Um, when I was a kid, I would go visit my, parent, uh, my grandparents, um, Grammy and Papa. That's what we called them. My parents are from Louisiana. So Grammy and Papa. And when I would go visit Grammy and Papa, we'd sit on the couch. Papa would be in his recliner. And um, I would be on the couch with Grammy. And we would watch the GSN, which is the game show network. And uh, we wouldn't watch just one show. We would watch hours of game shows, hours and hours and hours, whether that was Family Feud or Deal or No Deal or The Price is Right or, or Let's Make a Deal. And uh, Grammy and Papa and I, we, we, wouldn't just, we weren't just like passive viewers of game shows though. We weren't just like, oh, this is cool. We were actively engaged. Like we, if someone won, it was as if we won. We were like throwing stuff in the house grabbing pillows. I was hitting Papa on the face. I'm like, I don't care how old you are. Let's go. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm just kidding. I love, I honor my grandpa. I love him. He's my best friend. Movie's sitting there, we're watching games. We're getting involved. We're getting excited, you know, and, and for every game show, there's always this, this really this turning point, right? They've won a little bit of cash. They've won a little bit of prizes. They're feeling good about themselves. I've really always wanted to be on a game show and, and they're feeling good about themselves. And it gets to this point and says, okay, you can keep what you have. Or you could go behind this door because wait, there's more. And, you know, it's always just like the, the host would always be like, but wait, there's more. And we're all like, yes, what is it? What is more? Like we're waiting to see what's behind the door, whether it's a vacation or, you know, in deal or no deal, it's like a million dollars in their briefcase. Is it there? And they always give them this chance. They can either keep what they have or take a chance for what's behind the door for what's more. And I would always be the proponent of go for more, go for more. I don't care if you lose it all, might as well. You're only going to have one chance at this go for more. But majority of the time people will say, you know what? I'm going to keep what I have. I'm going to go home with this. I'm going to go have a nice steak dinner. And I'm like, no, (laughs) Papa, how can they do this? There was more behind the door. And I'm getting so mad and so furious. I have this weird obsession with game shows. And, and I would always be like, there's, just, there's more behind the door. Just take a risk. Let's go do it. Um, I think sometimes as I as, you know, was like that with game shows, how much more God is like that with us? He's saying, hey, I've given you something, but wait, there's more. And we often say, you know what, God, I'm good with what I have. He's like, no, 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 no. It's not even a risk. Guess what? If you take the chance, you'll get it. Open the door. There's more. And we're like, I, I'm okay. Thanks though. He says, no, 
Take the chance. Wait, there's more. We see this in John chapter 10, verse 10. We see it's a verse. It's it's a famous passage, really. It's a famous scripture. Many of us have probably heard it if we've gone to church long enough. And and we see the first part of it is the goal and the intention of our common enemy. It's that it's to steal, kill, and destroy. And oftentimes that's the part we preach because the enemy is trying to steal and kill and destroy your destiny. And he is. But the more powerful part is the second part of it. So this is what your enemy is trying to do. But let me tell you what I've already done, right? So he says, okay, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life and life more abundantly, right? So what is life? He came, he says he came to give us life. Let's deal with the first part of that. Life in the word in Greek is zoe, a true vitality, it says, a life that is bountiful and prosperous. It is really the contrast of death. Isn't that pretty profound? It's like death and life, they're opposite. This is what this means. It's talking about a spiritual life that we, that we receive through Jesus. Jesus did not come to make bad people good or to change our behavior. He came to bring those who were dead back to life. We were dead in the trespasses of sin, it says. So we were dead in our spirit. We were separated from God and Jesus had to come. So why? So we could receive Zoe spiritual life in our spirits again. So when we were dead in our sin, God says, I make you alive in my grace. This is what Zoe life is. He said, I came to give you life. I came to revive your spirit, revive your soul. I came to give you life. What was dead now is alive. It's not just a a fixing of your behavior. It's not just a modifying of your actions. It is a transformation of your very spirit. And we see that this is what Jesus says. I came to give man life. The spiritual life happens at salvation and the implications and benefits are through eternity. So this life that Jesus gives us, when he says, I, am, you know, I came to give life, what that life is, is eternal life. It's life that lasts beyond our time here on earth. It's life that lasts beyond time and space. What it represents is our, our position in eternity, that we will forever have life with God. We will forever have life worshiping God, being with God, being connected to God. This is what this life means. It's saying forever, not just for when you're here, life that has defeated the worst thing that can happen to you as a human, which is death. That's the worst thing that the enemy can do. It's take us out. It's death. But guess what Zoe life does? It defeats the very thing, the, the, the ace in the hole of the enemy. He says, even if you are killed, guess what? You are still alive with God forever. So this is life. Even death cannot stop the Zoe life that Jesus provided. And, I, and Jesus, if he stopped there, that's pretty amazing. If he stopped right at that point and said, I came to give you life. I came to, to bridge the gap between created and creator. I came so you could live for forever. If he stopped there, I would be happy. That's amazing. I'm like, my God, I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn it. You gave me life. But Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't stop at I just give you life. And I think, honestly, that's where most of us stop. Jesus gave us life, and we talk about life more abundantly, but we don't actually know what that is. That's where we stop, but God says, I, I, I don't just want to give you life, but I want to give you life 
more abundantly. Abundantly means this, beyond, extraordinary, a special advantage, exceptional, and this is one of my favorites, unnecessary. What does that mean? God did not have to give us abundant life. Life that he gave us through salvation was enough. That in itself is a great gift. The fact that we can live in eternity with God. But he says, I'm not going to stop there. It's not necessary that I give you this abundant life, but I want to. I think that gives us a picture of God's character and God's nature. He doesn't just give us what's necessary. He gave us that with salvation. It's necessary that we are saved. But he's saying, I am so good and I love you so much that I'm gonna give you what's not necessary, that you don't need it, but I wanna give it to you. Why? Because I wanna give you abundant, more, extraordinary, beyond, exceptional. I wanna give you something that's beyond just life. In this very passage, we begin to see the the little things that Jesus was tying into. He says, I am the shepherd. So that's life. He's saying, this is my identity. I am the shepherd. But with the very identity he gave the I must, I must let the sheep into the fold. What that is, is purpose. He says, I have purpose. I have a mission. So God has an I am for all of us. And that's to head to heaven. We are now secure in our identity with God. But while we are here on earth, he has a purpose, a plan, a mission, and I must. And that is abundant. God did not have to give us a purpose here on earth. If he wanted to, when we were saved, we could go straight to heaven. But there's a reason why we didn't. Because God is saying, there is an abundance that I have for you that you can experience here in your human experience. Though it is a short time compared to eternity, God wants us to experience the fullness of his goodness and his grace here on earth before we get to heaven. He's saying, not only do you have an I am, an identity in God, but I have given you a purpose, a mission in God. And we see this throughout John chapter 10. Life deals with our eternity, abundantly deals with our mortality. It deals with our time here on earth. Abundantly is this, this thing that we get to live in here because when we get to heaven, guess what? It's already abundant. Can't even describe what's happening in heaven. We're not talking about what's just going to heaven. Heaven is a beautiful place that there will be no sickness, no disease, no hurt, no pain, nothing. We will be in the presence of God. But God is saying this here on earth, I can give you eternal life. That's through my son, Jesus. I've already given you that when I died on the cross, but now I also have something for you of abundance. It was unnecessary to give it to you, but I'm giving you a special advantage here on earth. I'm giving you a special advantage. The special advantage he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. That's what separates what we believe and anything else in the world is that our our belief, our faith is, is life. It's relationship. It's active. It's it's, it's not passive. It's, it's this thing that is stirring up on the inside of us, which is the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, not only am I going to give you life, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, which is a special advantage to live life and life to the full, an abundant life. So how do we live a life of much more? Abundance. How do we live this life of much more? If we look to Romans chapter five, five times the phrase much more or more is used. So let's use scripture and allow scripture to interpret scripture. And we're going to look at four ways to live a life of much more. Four ways to live a life of much more. Romans 5 verse 8 through 9 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
We love the part of the verse that says, while we are yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And I actually think this, that as Christians, we have a better comprehension of God dying for us while we were far off than we do God loving us while we're in relationship with him. So my first point of living a life of much more is this. God is not mad at you. God's not mad at you. He's not sitting up there saying, oh, you got life through my son by just putting your faith in him. You didn't do anything but just activate your faith. Now I want you to live perfect. And if you don't, I'm going to be disappointed. Good luck. Then we mess up and we do something wrong. We say something wrong. We, we, we react to our kids because they're going crazy. You know, my one-year-old is just going crazy now. He walks and he thinks he's Indiana Jones. He wants to explore everything, you know. We react the wrong way. We say the wrong thing. And we're thinking, God's so mad at me, man. God's not mad at you. Why do we think that somehow God's narrative has changed in the middle of this interaction? God's narrative before this was, well, yet you were still sinners. I died for you. So while you were in your mess, while you were running away from me, while you were far away from me, while you didn't believe in me, while you were, you were not operating in the, in the justification in the relationship I have given you, I loved you and I died for you. Then when we accept that, we now all of a sudden flip it back around and say, okay, now I'm mad at you every time you mess up. God's narrative has not changed. God is in love with you. And how much more can we experience this love now that we've accepted it and say, you know what? You love me in my broken place, so you're gonna still love me now. God, let's keep doing this. We cannot live a life of much more if we are insecure with how God thinks about us. We have too many Christians that are insecure with how God sees them. Oh, God's just so mad at me, man. He's so mad. He's not mad. How much more it says that you are justified will Christ spare you from the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The punishment of God. He took that on the cross. So how much more is he going to take that away? God is not looking at you and saying, you should know better. Come on. No, saying I love you just as much as I loved you when you were an enemy from me, when you were running away from me. I loved you then and I love you now. Let's do this together. I'm not mad at you. The first thing we got to understand is God's not mad at us. The second thing to live a life of much more is chill. We are friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, chill. We're friends. Turn to your other neighbor and say, chill. We are friends. So in the last service, something that annoys my wife so much is I have the inability to like only apologize once. Like I, I don't like when I upset her. So when I upset her, I'm always like, oh babe, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Give me like the little thing. Hey, I'm so sorry. She's like, okay, yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. No, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. She's like, okay, it's okay. It's over. No, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm so She's like, hey, can you just stop saying sorry? No, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for saying sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's like, you're, you're stressing me out. I forgave you. Now shut up. She's like, relax. I love you. It's funny. We see this in Romans 5.10. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord 
Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our sin nature that we are born into, we are not sinners because we sin, we, are, we sin because we are born into sin. We're born with a sin nature. Our sin nature creates, uh, makes us natural enemies of God. We're enemies to God. But when we receive his grace by faith, we become now connected in relationship with God. And reconciliation means that he brought what was distant and what was an enemy and he made it an ally or a friend. Why are we relating to God as if he's still our enemy or as if we are still his? Even Jesus says to his disciples before he went home back to heaven, he says, hey, actually you were my servants, but now I call you friends. What he was doing is he was exposing this belief that only the greatest and the best and the most elite could be friends of God. Because in the time, only Moses and Abraham in the Bible were called friends of God. So what he was saying is this, even those who denied me, even those who were enemies of me, even those who were far off, because we all know those disciples were crazy. Even you, Peter, you can be a friend of God. He changed how he related to them. It was now no longer what they did for him, but it was doing life with him. He says, now I'm saying, hey, you're no longer just doing things for me. We're doing this together. We are now friends. We are reconciled. We are not enemies no more. Jesus said this to his disciples. And on this basis of faith, we are restored to our original position with God. This was our original intention and our original position with God, that we would be friends with God. We see this in the garden. Adam sinned. Before he sinned, though, guess what? He was walking with God. He was talking with God. He was with God. God was giving him purpose, was giving him vision, was giving him a woman in Jesus' name. Come on. Gave him a wife. He was walking with God. He was talking with God. He was with God. This was our original position, but sin messed this up. Sin created this divide. Now, no longer we were not with God. We weren't friends with God. But Jesus brought us back to this original position. It's no longer about what you can do for him, but it's all about what he's already done for you. Amen? First thing we got to understand is God is not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not some old white beard looking at you with a magnifying glass trying to burn you like I did when I, with the ants as a kid. Don't worry, I got counseling, but it's okay. God is not that way. He loves you. He, he died for you while you were his enemy. Now much more you are connected to him. How much can we experience that love? Can we cherish that love? Can, can we ponder on that love? Can we think about it? Can we just love the fact that he loves us? Can we just be excited that God actually loves us? Because for me, I don't feel like I deserve it. Can we be excited for a moment that Jesus loves us while we were sinners, while we were far off, and how much more he still, we can experience that now? Chill, God's your friend. Understand, God wants to be your friend. Acts 17 says, in him you live, you move, you have your being. That's God's, that's God's intention for our relationship. We have been restored to our original position. We are friends with God, chill out. Let's be secure. Let's be confident in where we stand with God. It's a confidence that we're friends. Number three, much more is not about gaining. It's about reigning. Romans 5, 17 says this, for if, because if one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more with those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, 
Jesus Christ. Paul is comparing these two different men. The first one is Adam. The second one is Jesus. Now, the first one, it, 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 he was in relationship with God and then there was, he brought sin into the world by a choice. And with that choice, now the sin nature was imputed into each and every one of us, which basically means this, that when we are born, we are born with a sin nature because of Adam's decision in the garden. They created separation, created distance between us and God. We've talked about this. Now, on the other side, we have one man who decided to sacrifice his life as the perfect sinless sacrifice, which is Jesus. And because of that, now there's an opportunity that every single person who may be distant, far off, and separated from God can be connected to them if they receive righteousness through faith by God's grace. So this is the opportunity. There's a comparison of two men. So it's saying, on one side, if death and sin reigned in your life, how much more now you are connected to God that you should reign over sin. So we think that abundance is, is what we can attain or gain from God. It's not. The second man is Jesus and we were separated. So what is he doing? Not only did Jesus restore us to our original position with him, which was friends, but he, he, he actually, yes, he gave us our purpose. Sorry, my mind went blank for a second. He only restored us to our position with God, but he restored us to our purpose with God. So first we, we, we understand that he's restored us back to our original position, which is friends. Now he's restored us back to our original purpose, which is to rule and to reign. We see when, they, when, when, when Adam was in the garden, he says, I want you to rule and reign over it. I want you to rule and reign. Even when they left the garden, he said to Cain, he said, Cain, sin is waiting at your door. Reign over it, rule over it. He's saying this to us and saying, abundant life is not the position or the, or the possessions you can gain. It has nothing about the cars or the money or the house. Yes, God wants to bless you, but that is not an abundant life because we all know you can have all of those things and yet still feel lifeless. What abundant life is this? It's not about gaining. It's not about finding position or prominence, but it's finding your purpose in God, which is to rule and reign in life. We have already gained everything we need. We've gained access to God. We've gained it. That's all you need to gain, but now it's time to learn how to reign. It's time to learn how to rule. It's time to learn to be, be restored back to your original purpose, not just your original position. We love the original position part. Oh, I want to be a friend of God. I want to do this, but then it's just the original purpose. Time to rule and reign over sin. Whoo, I don't know about that. I love this. No longer does sin have the fighter's edge over you, but we actually have the fighter's edge over sin. No longer does sin have the ability to rule and reign over you. If God has given you the Zoe life in your spirit, guess what you have the opportunity to do? Rule and reign over sin. Rule and reign over de depression. Rule and reign over anxiety. Rule and reign over addiction. Rule and reign over these things that have, have, have bottled you down. Those, those mindsets that you have, guess what? God can rule and reign over it. The, those generational curses, you can rule and reign. You don't have to stay where you're at. This is the abundant life. It's not about getting a Bentley. That won't make you happy. That won't make you whole. We see the 10 lepers. Only one came back and says, God, I'm thankful. Says the others were healed, but one was made whole. Pastor Jensen preaches a brilliant message on this. He says, don't look like what you've been through. That we, abundant life is not just the fact that we're 
healed in relationship with God, but God actually wants to make you whole. He wants to remove those things that have plagued your family, that have plagued your life, that have plagued your relationships. And and he doesn't want you in the same patterns. This is life and life more abundantly. How good is it the fact that he gave us the ability to go with him in eternity, but how much greater is it he gives us the ability to rule and reign here on earth? G.K. Chesterton, who's an amazing theologian, says this, a dead thing can can go with the stream, but only a living thing can swim against it. A dead thing can float, but only a living thing can swim upstream. We think that with life, it means that I just get enough float and coast to heaven. We don't like to talk about that there needs to be change and transformation. But the thing is this, we, the, one of the greatest revolutions and economic re- revolutions in America was the invention of the steamboat. Because before that, you could only go down the river. But the mighty Mississippi became this economic boom when there's the ability to go upriver. And it was only because it was powered. It was a a ship that was powered by steam. It wasn't powered by man's arms or effort. It was powered by an engine. So we don't have the ability to swim upstream on our own. G.K. Chesterton is not saying, hey, it's time to now get swimming. Better start hurting, better, better start working for it. Better start swimming harder, doing better. No, he's saying this, that when you are alive, something is activated on the inside of you. You should not look the same way that you did before. You should not be able to just float through life. There should be transformation. And the only way we receive transformation is this, is through the Holy Spirit. The sanctification of the Holy Spirit gives us the engine to swim upstream. So then our transformation can bring people to the same destination. That is our purpose, to rule and reign. Why? So then when people look at us, they don't look like a same dead body floating like everyone else. It looks like someone who's going in a direction they never thought was possible. They didn't think freedom was possible. They didn't think wholeness was possible. They didn't think healing was possible. But because of the Holy Spirit in your life, you now be able to walk in ways that people are like, how is that possible? And you're like, I'm ruling, I'm reigning, I'm living an abundant life. I don't have to hold back or float or just go with it. But I can have a God who's taking me places I never thought I could go, putting me in front of people I never thought I would be in front of and doing things I never thought I would do. The Holy Spirit is our special advantage. Woo! We have a special advantage that we never use. The Holy Spirit is not weird. It's not spooky. It's not just this Casper the ghost. Trust me, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. They were crazy sometimes. But don't let the misuse of something make you not use it at all. Because without the Holy Spirit, there is no abundant life. You can have eternal life. You can go to heaven, but then you're just floating downstream. Just going with it. Yeah, I love Jesus, but you know, this is what my family does. We get, you know, there's just divorce, there's brokenness in the family, and it's just, this is what happens. Yeah, you know, people, you know, we just have unforgiveness. We're just, our family doesn't talk about things. We don't forgive. We, we just hold grudges. That doesn't sound like abundant life. I believe that God can heal the most deep wounds. I believe right now in this place that God is healing family wounds. He's taking family wounds that are so deep and run for generations. And there's so much separation in your earthly family and God right now in this moment is mending your heart. And through the Holy Spirit allowing you to swim upstream against the current, 
against what makes sense. Number four, and you can stand to your feet. This is where I finish. Pretty much on time. Sin no longer reigns over you. Sometimes we give the enemy too much power in our life. Man, Jesus died for us on a cross. He took whips, 30 lashes on his back. He carried the cross for us and he went to heaven. He raised from the dead. And we think the enemy has more power than him. We think that we can't resist this temptation, that we can't overcome, that we can't be free. We can't have peace of mind. I, I don't know. Yeah, God giving you life, but there's, there's something more. The Holy Spirit activates something. And self-control is not self-will. It's not, I just got to do better to get better. Self-control is a byproduct of complying with the Holy Spirit. If you lack self-control, it means we lack compliance with spending time with the Holy Spirit. Number four. This is my favorite one, to be honest. More outweighs the score. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law was put in place as a scoreboard in life to show you that you need God. So what does that mean? To put it bluntly, it's a scoreboard that shows you you're always losing. The law was put in place to show you that you can't live it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You can try, you can be better, try to do better, have good behavioral therapy, all of this stuff. But ultimately, without Jesus, you cannot be who you need to be. And it's a scoreboard that always shows you that you, you just, it's just, I, 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 I don't know. But because of Jesus, no matter how much the score stacks against us, no matter how far we've run, no matter what we've done, grace is not what just evens the score. I wanna put this this way. It doesn't matter how far you've done, I do not care what you have done. And right now you might be thinking, oh, you, if you only knew. God knows. He says, while yet we are still sinners, Christ died for you. That applies to every single person in this room because we have all been in the place of being a sinner. He didn't say, if yet you are still a sinner, but if you did this or you came from this family. No, we were all in this place. The score outweighed all of us. And grace did not come in and just equal the score and make it zero. Grace came in and he put us in the lead. He says, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I'm not gonna just wipe it away, but I'm gonna give you the ability to walk in a new found freedom, a new found life. No score is too big that God can't settle. Justification is a legal term, which means you have been acquitted of, your, of all charges against you and it has been given to Jesus. So God is not looking at you, charging you and trying to, 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 to challenge you and push you and say, oh, this is what you've done and this is what you've done. I have acquitted that in my son, accept it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. 